the situation of the world today is very different. When you see the huge amount of subsidies that are being granted in the United States of America, in Europe, this raises a lot of questions in countries that are being told to open up. The AIG Global Trade Series 2023 is a series of podcasts brought to you by AIG in partnership with some of the world's leading centers of expertise on global trade. Visit www.aig.com forward slash GTS. The series moderator is Rem Kortovec of the Klingendahl Institute. Hello and welcome to this episode of the AIG Global Trade Series 2023. My name is Rem Korteweg. I'm a senior research fellow at the Klingendal Institute in the Netherlands. I'm the host of the Global Trade Series. So today's topic is Brazil, the trade powerhouse of South America. On January 1st, President Lula took office, and his return to the presidency has raised expectations far and wide that a new positive Brazilian approach to trade may be forthcoming. The EU-Mercosur FTA, for instance, has been left in the freezer for the past couple of years, but could this deal now be reheated? In 2021, Brazil's trade amounted to 520 billion US dollars, and driven by higher prices in 2022, this figure exceeded 600 billion. Also, trade is becoming an increasingly important part of overall Brazilian GDP. But there are also concerns. Much of that trade taps into Brazil's mineral and agricultural wealth, raising tensions with respect to environmental protection and sustainability. Besides, from a US and European perspective, Brazil seems, seems to be cozying up to its main trading partner, China. and They are left wondering how this will shape Brazil's foreign policy. What does Brasilia make of growing trade tensions between the US and China, and how is it dealing with the shift towards greater regionalization or even trade fragmentation? As an important voice in the G20 and a key member of the BRICS group of emerging economies, it is all the more relevant to take a closer look today at Brazil's trade agenda. And to do so, I'm joined by two fantastic experts on Brazil. From Rome, I'm joined by Antonella Mori. Antonella is head of the Latin America program at the Italian Institute for International Political Studies, ISPI. She is also a researcher at Bocconi University in Milan, where she teaches macroeconomics and economic prospects. And from Lisbon, it is a great pleasure to welcome Victor Do Prado. Victor is Senior Fellow at the Brazilian Center of International Relations, SEBRI. He is also former Director of Council and Trade Negotiations Committee at the WTO and has been the Chairman of the Subsidies Committee of the WTO. He is a, has a well-established career as a Brazilian diplomat and a trade negotiator. So, let's jump right in. And Victor, if I can start with you, how would you best characterize Brazil's trade policy, and what would you say are its main priorities? Good afternoon. Thank you very much, Rem. Pleasure to be here with you and with, with Antonella. First time that I participate in one of these podcasts, so this is, this is great. How would I characterize Brazil's trade policy? I guess we have to look at a few numbers just to see where things are in terms of Brazil, the composition of Brazil foreign trade. 
Brazil is a sort of a middle-sized trading partner. Total exports last year were around 330 billion US. Total imports, 270 billion US. It has a surplus in trade balance of around 60 billion. So that places Brazil more or less like a middle-sized country like Spain in terms of foreign trade, which does not reflect Brazil's, Brazil's position in world economics. Brazil is the ninth largest economy in nominal GDP, just ahead of Canada. So that tells you Brazil has a low ratio of foreign trade compared to uh, GDP. What Brazil does have, and I think this is important for our listeners, is that diversity of sectors and of partners. Brazil exports ag minerals about 50% and industrial goods about 50%. And the importation side is also very diverse. There's also a lot of diversity in terms of who are Brazil's partners. And true, China has become a major partner About 27% of Brazil's exports are to China, followed by Europe, the European Union, around 20%, US, Canada, about 15%, and South America, about 13%. Now, this diversity of products and of partners is something that is historic in Brazil. It's been like this for a long time, and it is seen by Brazilians as an advantage in a world where there's a lot of fluctuation in prices and et cetera. Having said that, Brazil remains a rather closed economy. There's no major market opening since the 1990s. There's been a little bit of tariff reduction during the Bolsonaro years, a little bit of cleaning up of non-tariff barriers, but no major reduction of tariffs, no major market opening. Why is this? I would say that there's this... DNA in many Brazilian policymakers of import substitution, developmental type of policies. Business complains about something called Custo Brasil, the cost of doing business in Brazil. And I would finally say that foreign trade is not a major priority for Brazilian uh, policymakers because it, you know, the participation of foreign trade in the Brazilian economy is is not great. So this is a sort of a panorama of where things stand in Brazil. Yeah, great. And and Antonella, as a as a as an outsider looking in, how how do you see Brazil's approach to trade? First of all, uh, thank you for having me. It's really a pleasure to be here with uh, Victor and Ram. Let me just add one thing because uh, just to remind that Brazil is part of Mercosur, so that this uh, policy, the, all the trade policy, is actually a common policy because uh, the Mercosur is a custom union. So Brazil, together with Argentina, Uruguay, and Paraguay, they are carrying out the same uh, commercial policy. So it's not only Brazil, which is uh, a rather protectionist, but it's really the co- Argentina together with, uh, let's say, Paraguay, probably Uruguay is more, uh, it would be less, uh, but uh, since it joined the Mercosur, it has to do the same. I see from my perspective that with the new thing that we see with this third turn for President Lula, I think that we may see a shift from a rather protectionist way of carrying out the commercial policy towards a more open for the Mercosur, I mean, not only for Brazil, 
of more open regionalism in order to tie more trade with reindustrialization, which seems to me one major aim, major goal of Lula. So hopefully we will see a less protectionist Mercosur and Brazil, of course. We are going to see very soon if this is going to develop in this way with the European Union and the Mercosur uh, agreement, as well as with Canada. Mercosur decided to return to the negotiation with Canada and uh, who knows with China. But I think we will have time to talk about China later in the discussion. Yeah, and let, let's talk about sort of EU Mercosur or Canada Mercosur in a, in a, in a second. I, I just want to get your appreciation also how how different the Bolsonaro period in terms of commercial policy and trade policy might be with respect to the current administration. So is this going to be a sea change? Is is Antonella right, Victor, that, that Brazil might be leaving its somewhat tepid approach to, to global trade behind? I think Antonella is right in saying that probably there will be more focus on trade policy than there was especially as far as Mercosur and other developing countries are concerned. But let's not forget one thing, and this applies not only to Brazil, but to the rest of the world. Geopolitics is playing a huge role in international trade these days. So all of the geopolitical problems, tensions that we're seeing today will play a role in defining trade policy. I think the rhetoric will be different during Lula. The priorities may be different. It's early days to see whether this will be translated into actions. But I will say this, the situation of the world today is very different. When you see the huge amount of subsidies that are being granted in the United States of America, in Europe, not to talk about the China socialist uh, state capitalism model, this raises a lot of questions in countries that are being told to open up. They will say, well, open up? Really? Look at what the big guys are doing. They, are, they may have low tariffs, but in terms of government support to their sectors, there's, there's big subsidization going on out there. Now, Brazil will have to juggle with this type of uh, game in, in a very sensitive, delicate uh, manner. You mentioned China, Ram and Antonella did too. I would just say this for now, uh, that Brazil has traditionally played something that is called a soft balancing between the US and you know, Europe on one side, China on the other, and even when China was not a big player between the US and the EU. And it will have to exercise that sort of soft balancing act in a, in a very delicate manner. Finally, what we have heard from the government up to today doesn't really go in terms of opening in, into that direction. It might happen, but you know, Brazil has question marks since Lula took office about its accession to the OECD, which was being pushed formally by uh, Bolsonaro in, a, in an encouraging way. Same for Brazil's accession to the WTO government procurement agreement. So these are trade-related issues. They're not trade in and of itself, but they point to, well, maybe not so hurried into getting you know, 
too close to one side of the aisle. And I mean, our conversation today is uh, on the cusp of President Lula's visit to, to China. Just picking up on your theme, Victor, of, of soft balancing. I don't know whether the reading the European newspapers reflecting on, on Lula's visit, I, I don't see a lot of soft balancing there. I think there are more concerns that uh, there might be soft alignment with China taking place. Um, Antonella, is this, how do you see Brazil's reorientation or perhaps its approach in this, this geopolitical context of trade? First of all, China, from the economic point of view, is extremely important for Brazil. And uh, over the past four years during the President Bolsonaro, we know that China was uh, marginalized, let's say. He, Bolsonaro couldn't do a, a lot because uh, we know that the agribusiness sector is an important sector for uh, his uh, electorate and uh, is very important for China. But if it were for uh, Bolsonaro, the only strong economic relation would have been only with the U.S. So on the one hand, I think Lula had to go and try to restore, recreate good relation with China because China is extremely important from the economic point of view. And another is very important difference between, uh, um, if we compare uh, Lula and Bolsonaro, is the, the approach towards the South. We know that since for the beginning, I mean, to, since the first two mandates of Lula, for Lula is very important the South-South cooperation or the idea that the globe to strengthen the global South in, in the geopolitical uh, environment. So now we can wonder if China is still a part of the South or it's. Uh, so we saw this trip, and the trip was very important. Uh, they sign. Uh, 15 uh, economic agreement uh, ranging from trade to technological cooperation. But I think that uh, we have to remind that Brazil didn't enter the Belt and Road Initiative, which I think is a very strong uh, message in a way that Brazil is saying to China, okay, you are very important for us. We are very close in a way. But uh, we don't want to be in a bipolar world with you. We really want a multipolar world. We don't want. And I think that the government, the present government probably is thinking, but how really China, is really China thinking that he wants a multipolar world or uh, a bipolar world or let's say in uh, 30 years, a unipolar world? So... To me, I think uh, Brazil is uh, quite, uh, he wants to be in close relation with everyone. We don't know if it is going to be possible. So which the U.S., remember that the second foreign trip of Lula has been in the United States after Argentina with the European Union and with China. So we see, and really I think that Lula wishes that the world is going to be a multipolar world in which the global South is stronger. Sounds almost like a French president. Yeah, but is really China willing to do this? I'm not a Chinese expert, but following the Chinese and Latin America relation, I doubt that this is really the aim to be in a multipolar world. So Brazil is a big country to and is not uh, willing to be 
only with China. Victor? Yeah, thanks, Ram. And I, and I agree with Antonella. And I go back to the basics of where I started. Brazil has a very diverse trade composition, you know, in terms of products and a very diverse, it was more balanced in the past than it is now. China has gained a lot of weight in, in terms of Brazilian foreign trade, but the US and the European Union and Latin America continue to be very important trading partners. So if you look at that, that basis, Brazil indeed wants to have really good relations with everyone. Now, again, this is a tough balancing act today because you have this tension between the US and, and China, and Brazil doesn't want to have to choose and will surely play in all types of chess uh, boards. This is tricky, huh? but you know, this is also the tradition of Brazilian diplomacy. Brazil will not align itself in a total automatic alignment with the United States. And I would be very surprised with, if Brazil does the same with China. That's not in the Brazilian tradition at all. There is no alignment. And final world, don't forget about the way Brazil views the BRICS, even though the R in that acronym is causing some problems these days. And Lavrov is in Brasilia this week. So Lula goes to China. Sergei Lavrov is in Brasilia. This gives mixed signals to the rest of the world, right? It but does. as you yeah. said, Ram, Macron went to China in, 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 in a big state visit as well. So it's a much more complex and I would even say more interesting world for us who are observing it from the outside, but also uh, with fraught with risks. Is this also the important nuance that we need when reading that Brazil and China agreed a uh, a currency provision for trade that they decided to cut the dollar out out of their bilateral trade. I see you laughing, uh, Victor. But uh, Antonella, go ahead. I mean, on the one hand, that to decrease the the role and the superpower of the U.S. dollar in the world economy, I think is something that also Europeans, I think, would be happy to do it and to use more the euro as an international reserve currency and in the trade as an invoice currency. First of all, if the idea is to substitute the US dollar with the renminbi, the renminbi is not a, com a completely convertible currency. It's uh, the country we know is sometimes put some capital controls and uh, and I think, first, first of all, Brazilian enterprises won't be happy to have a surplus of renminbis at the end of the day. If they have a surplus in their trade relation with China, they will end up with a surplus of renminbi. And so this is, was, I think, from a, from a domestic point of view, because we know that, especially for the left of the the Partito of Lula, the, it's very left and anti-imperialist and see really the U.S. like a devil. So the idea to say, oh, we are going to leave the U.S. dollar, we are going to change, uh, maybe was something appealing for this leftist part of his party. But practically, is no, no sense. The only thing that I see that can happen is for some trade, so for some commercial relation, for some really, they can decide to set 
in one. I mean, if they know that they buy and selling something at the same time in the bilateral trade, they can use the Airbnb. Yes, why not? It's like uh, to use thingy, but only changing and co using completely uh, a different currency, I mean, the renminbi, or a basket currency. Mm -hmm. We know, I mean, the European experience knows how difficult it is to have a basket currency when you are very integrated, economically integrated. So I don't think it's uh, possible, actually, this only to use more in some trade uh, relation, to use maybe more the renminbi, but this is not to substitute the uh, US dollar with the renminbi or another currency. And that other great, uh, trade superpower, the United States, how, how is it viewing Brazil and the relationship with Brazil? Because we've, in a previous podcast, we've explored the rise of deeper regional trade ties. And that in a context where geopolitics is intervening, that there is a growing trend to look closer to home, whether you call it nearshoring or diversification or, or even reshoring, that's beside the question. But it seems logical that the United States would, would equally want to be reaching out to Brazil to further develop trade ties because the trade seems to be quite complementary there. Is that, what do you see, uh, Victor, from, from the U.S. angle? Well, Ram, this is a very tricky type of question because you have to ask, what would an American see about Brazil? And, you know, I understand very well what Brazilians think about the U.S., but not necessarily the other way around. What I can tell you, though, is that when I look at the U.S. initiatives around the world in terms of getting close to people, proposing agreements, I see things like IPEF, the Indo-Pacific Economic Partnership, uh, and it does not have a market access component to it. It doesn't have what appeals to people, which is access to the large U.S. market. And, you know, the Indo-Pacific is a geostrategic region in the world. South America is not. Well, though, you know, CPTPP includes a number of South American countries. Yeah, on, on the Pacific facade of South America, not on the Atlantic facade. Mm -hmm. And there is a difference, uh, you know, Antonella surely understands, you know, there's huge difference between one side, one ocean and the other ocean in, sure. in, in South America in their approach to trade and, and et cetera. And the geostrategic importance of, of these sides. So, yes, Brazil, a large democracy. Yes, Brazil, a reliable trading partner. Yes, the U.S. will want to keep Brazil as, say, a middle power, a regional power, organize the South American space into sort of a peaceful. There's this relationship between, you know, security. Mercosur has been really important, not only in terms of trade, but in terms of security policies. All of that, I think the United States appreciates. Are we going to see anything like, you know, American free trade agreement? Uh, no, no. Mm -hmm. Like ALCA or FTAA in, in the past? I, it's, it's not in the cards because this is not what the U.S. policymakers want today, even the, between the U.S. and the European Union. I mean, you know how difficult it is. They have this trade and technology council not easy, not easy. So it will, again, be for 
Brazil to play this balancing act. And I'm sorry to insist on this, but it, it does have to do with this. And why not? Maybe, you know, Lula's trip to China raises the attention of policymakers in Washington and in Brussels to the importance of Brazil. And I'll leave it there. Well, one thing that may be in the cards, if not a US-Brazil FTA, is an EU-Mercosur FTA, at least something we've been talking about for a long time. What's your expectation, Antonella? Are we going to see movement? Are we going to, well, I mean, the, the, the deal is done, but there are side letters, there's the ratification process, there's Brazilian concerns with EU deforestation guidelines, there are EU concerns with Brazilian policy towards the Amazon. Where, where are we going with EU Mercosur? Okay, this is a very tricky question. I, at the moment, I'm rather optimistic because I see that there are several favorable factors that are at the same time playing. One is that uh, for um, the position of Lula towards the environment and the respect of the climate and respect of the Amazon and all the policy against the deforestation. So all issues that were very important in blocking on, from the European side the recent ratification after 2019. Uh, I mean, they concluded in 2019 the negotiation after many, many years, um, 20 years of negotiation, but still it's not ratified. Then uh, I think uh, that the, also this uh, ge new geopolitical situation in which uh, China and uh, the US are in a very deep competition would probably bring both the European side and uh, Mercosur to think maybe we share, we share multilateralism, we share, we really would like to have a multipolar world because we would be other polar in the world. Then we have a very narrow window of opportunity because next from the 1st of July, Spain will hold the presidencies of the European uh, Council. And we know also in the past uh, the role of Spain in really pulling, pushing the relation, the bilateral relation. So I think this is a good moment. However, I can't be completely optimistic because we know the story about the negotiation and uh, 20 years of negotiation. And the agreement was, let's say, concluded the trade part, I mean, the economic part of the agreement, because it's an association agreement with three pillars, the economic and then the cooperation, the political, but the economic agreement was concluded in 2019. And since the conclusion, there have been new things at the European level, very important, the EU Green Deal and uh, the old, and all the implication also for trade. You mentioned the, but it's, everything's very new because if you think about the, the regulation about the deforestation, which is going to impose to companies to be sure that all products coming from, for several, like cocoa, coffee and, Palmoy, they are coming from places in which uh, without deforestation. Then also the carbon measure in order to avoid that product for certain uh, sector like steel, very much uh, energy consuming, can enter the EU 
when they come from places where they don't respect the environment, the carbon, uh, or they say the, the, the carbon border adjustment mechanism, CBAM. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Which is going to be uh, provisionally enforced since from the 1st of October. So all those are new things that couldn't be included in the 2019 uh, agreement. So I think it's um, normal that now Brazil and the current government says, I, we want to see what's going to happen from on this point of view. But Lula is actually sharing, Lula and the government, uh, they are sharing the idea, the importance of sustainability, especially environmental sustainability, with the European Union. So it should be possible to find a way, we may be a transition phase, uh, but a way to find a solution. If it's not possible with the current government, I think it will be impossible later on. So I'm rather optimistic, but the time is very strict also because then in October there are an Argentina election. Yeah. And if we think about the past negotiation, if you really look from 1999 up to 2019, always exogenous factors were blocking at uh, the beginning was the Argentinian crisis and then terrorism and then later on the European, the Euro crisis and then later on Brazilian recession. So always has been blocked by external factor. So we have a very narrow window of opportunity, but being Spain, the next country holding the, the semester, I think uh, I'm rather optimistic. So, Victor, do you share Antonella's optimism? That it should be possible, and that there is a window. There's a window of opportunity, which is, which is coming up. Well, let's get to, back to basics, Ram. If it's m more possible under Lula than it was under Bolsonaro, okay. So mm -hmm. let that that that's that's, 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 that's apples one part of it. <laughs> yeah. Then there are all of these factors on the environment that Ella is uh, referring to. The Brazilian agricultural lobbies will be looking at this very closely. So the Deforestation Act, all of these guidelines are going to be looked at very, very closely. CBAM as well. I mean, Brazil is a big exporter of steel. So all, all of this plays, uh, plays a role. And these are new things. Is it possible? Yes, if there is goodwill on both sides. But let's not forget, Mercosur is in a pretty difficult state with inflation in Argentina. Antonella mentioned Elections coming up in October in Argentina. Let's not forget, Uruguay, you know, has been saying they wanted to do an FTA with China. It's not easy to coordinate all of this. So I would say I'm a bit more cautious. I think the environment is clearly a priority for the Lula government. How will that translate into the negotiating table is a question mark to me. And is this something that only plays out between the EU and Mercosur, Victor? I mean, the whole question of how to bring the sustainability and trade agendas closer together is something that plays out now inside the WTO as well. Is this something where Brazil can take a something of a leadership role? Well, I think it should. And, and this is a very good point because there's a fantastic opportunity here for Brazil to use its credentials in terms of defense. I mean, don't forget, 1992, the Earth Summit in Rio, Brazil has this tradition of understanding the politics of environment and environmental protection in the international arena. 
very well. And how you translate that into the green economy is a great opportunity. There are things happening very fast, like the Inflation Reduction Act in the United States that has a lot to do with electric vehicles and etc. I mean, there's a there's things happening and there's a great opportunity for Brazil to formulate some sort of politi- uh, policy that, you know, gathers the green side and the economic side and puts this forward. There are huge opportunities in Brazil. I mean, I, for one, would not be afraid of the deforestation guidelines. There are ways of tracking the origin of products. There's labeling and tracking devices that can be developed. This can be a huge economic opportunity out there, but it has to be smart. Yeah. Of course, it's not something that only plays out between in in bilateral FTAs. It's something that you would argue has to happen at the multilateral level. You have deep experience with the WTO, uh, Victor, just from a taking the opportunity to, to, to speak to you about this now. Where do you see that Brazil's position as a soft balancer, as you described, as someone, as a country that wants to ensure that it has good ties with both China and the United States, as well as with Europe, that seeks to create this multipolar polar world. Where, where do you think that Brazil can push the envelope in, in, in ensuring that the WTO and that rules-based trade moves forward? It just for our listeners, we've those of you that have been part or following this podcast for some time, we've we've gone around in circles talking about problems affecting the WTO and and how to get it to function. What role do you think that Brazil can play here? I think Brazil can play a fantastic role in trying to think about the future of the WTO and the WTO of the future. How will it look, say, in 10 years ahead? Uh, Brazil is one of the founding members of the WTO. In fact, one of the founding members of the GATT. It's a huge tradition. It has had a Brazilian director general. It's one of the most active countries in um, in the WTO. Now, the WTO, as you said, is is not in great shape. Uh, dispute settlement uh, is not great. Uh, the negotiations, more or less. And I think here, I mean, again, there's a golden opportunity to show that the WTO can do things on digital, on services, and last but surely not least, on climate and environment. So these three areas, digital, services, and environment slash climate, should be taken together in a package with more flexibility. And you have to include the development aspect in the WTO because otherwise the developing countries will say, This is a developed country agenda. I have nothing to do with this. Mm -hmm. So development has to be part of the concerns as well. And for me, it has to do with some sort of flexibilization, as we are seeing with the plurilaterals on on digital, with some initiatives on environment. That is the trend that should be followed by the WTO. And there are interesting things that can be done. But forget about huge packages of agreement that are, you know, hard law amongst 164 countries. That is not going to happen. It's more flexibility and it's more forward-looking amongst groups of um, you know, countries that share interests. And Antonella, where, where do you see Brazil fitting into Europe's approach to, to global trade? There's a real discussion taking place now whether 
the EU should start decoupling in some sectors from China. Uh, it's looking at its green deal with uh, trying to develop new resource partnerships, on, particularly in the area of critical materials. Brazil will, will, will feature in those lists. Then there's, of course, the climate dimension that we talked about, which is holding up EU Mercosur from an EU perspective. Where, how do you see Brazil's role play out over the coming you know, months or, or years from, a, from an EU perspective? I think that for um, not for the decoupling in uh, some, maybe in some strategic sector, which is, is, doesn't seem that important for Brazil, the idea of their risking the trade. But for environment, it's important. Definitely, they share the importance. And uh, I would say one thing that you didn't mention, but all the, what you mentioned are, apart from the, the strategic sector, like, uh, I mean, we know that when Lula was in China last week, he went visiting the Huawei company, something that um, didn't make happy the U.S. government. Or, But I think one thing that the... You, European Union and Brazil could find a way to cooperate, which is something very important also for trade, is how to involve small and medium-sized enterprise. Because small and medium-sized enterprise are the backbone for the European Union, we know. In the European Union, they are more active. And also for Brazil, the idea that they want to, that the government would like to be to increase the uh, international participation as far as trade on the one hand, and on the other hand, to reindustrialize the country. They really need to work more with SMEs, small and medium-sized enterprises. So the idea to, if it's possible to have both cooperating, but that it's difficult because you have, I mean, small and medium-sized enterprises, and but to transfer the, the knowledge, how do you involve small and medium-sized enterprises Enterprise in your trade activity. Then they maybe they will use not to trade with the European Union, but within South America. Because if you are a small company or a medium company, then maybe trading with the European Union is difficult. But Argentina is a very important economic partner. And what is important for Brazil is that Argentina buys manufacturing product. So while we buy, we European Union buys mainly primary commodities from uh, mineral, metals, uh, agriculture, and uh, China, of course, is the same. South America is more interesting for Brazil because they do buy manufacturing products. So if you really want to reindustrialize Brazil, which lost a huge number of workers in the manufacturing sectors in recently, and the, also the share of manufacturing production decreased in, a, in an enormous way in the past 30 years. So Lura really wants to rebuild this industrial base. I think they, you need to focus on small and medium-sized enterprises also in Brazil. So this, I think, is a very important uh, point. Yeah, and, and I think also the point you make well is um, the importance to build trade integration in South America and to ensure that those value chains actually develop much more than perhaps they have in recent years. And this is also where a number of the opportunities lie. Um, any final thought on this, uh, Victor? 
No, I completely agree with, with Antonella. And I would say that, you know, getting small and medium enterprises in Brazil to focus more on trade within South America and focus on modern trade. And again, I insist on digital, on services and on environmental services. This is where Brazil has an edge. Things that have to do with agriculture, but also with the environment, all of the services as a activities that go around the agribusiness and the digital world. There's huge opportunities there. When I think about Brazil reindustrializing, I am, for one, not thinking about car manufacturers or steel. I'm thinking about knowledge-based. I'm thinking about services and, and these sectors. This is where I think the future is. Terrific. And unfortunately, this is all we have time for today. It's been absolutely fantastic exploring with both of you Brazil's trade agenda. Thank you very much to Antonello Mori and Victor do Prado. Please check out our other conversations for the AIG Global Trade Series at www.aig.com GTS or get them on the platform you usually use to access your podcasts. The AIG Global Trade Series 2023 is an international partnership between AIG, the Aspen Institute Germany, SEBRI, the Brazilian Center for International Relations, Chatham House, the Klingendal Institute, the Institute of International Economic Law at Georgetown University Law Center, ISPI, the Italian Institute for International Political Studies, the Jacques Delors Institute, Rieti, the Research Institute of Economy, Trade and Industry, and the St. Gallen Endowment for Prosperity Through Trade. To access articles and opinion pieces from partners in the Global Trade Series and to listen to more episodes on global trade, visit www.aig.com forward slash GTS or follow the AIG Global Trade Series wherever you get your podcasts.